Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. Whether you are a student prepping for tests and boards or a CRNA here to earn CEUs, we are glad you've joined us. For more about us, make sure to check us out on Instagram at Core Anesthesia and online at coreanesthesia.com. Welcome back to Core Anesthesia. I'm Cole here with Tanner. And today we want to do a discussion on functional endoscopic sinus surgery. We're going to do a quick care plan on that procedure. Uh, it's abbreviated as FES. If you've heard of FES, that is what this procedure is. And the goal here is just to basically go up into the sinuses through the nostrils and nasal cavity and try to remove some of that extra tissue that is causing either recurrent infections, chronic sinus disease, maybe a tumor up there, if they have polyps up there, et cetera. And so these can be a little bit longer procedures, just delicate procedures. And so we're just going to go through because it is, again, up right in the area that as anesthesia providers, we're going to have our equipment at. Uh, we just want to take some time to go through and talk about what are the implications for us, how we're going to manage these patients, et cetera. The first thing that you want to think about is your setup. As you're setting up for this case, you'll want to have a conversation with the surgical team. Some surgeons will like to do a TIVA for these procedures. There's some literature out there that says there's less bleeding when using a TIVA for these FEST procedures. And so some people will request that you do a TIVA. So again, that's just going to change how you set up for your case. And so that's something that you'll want to know before you're setting up your case. As far as your airway, that's something else that you will want to have a conversation with them and figure out what their preference is. Some people will like a oral ray tube. Others will be okay with just a regular ET tube, and you'll probably tape that down on the chin. Uh, again, this is all something just to have a conversation with the surgical team and figure out what the typical practice is there. Often, if I don't really know the team or I'm there before anybody else is there, I'll just kind of have all those things ready and maybe not open up the specific ET tubes, but just have those ready. That goes a long way with your CRNA or whoever you're with that day, just so you're prepared and at least thinking about these different things. At the beginning of this procedure, the first thing that they'll do is typically turn the patient 90 degrees. After they turn the patient, they'll start to inject or put this gauze that's soaked with lidocaine and epi up into the nose. And so pretty early on, you can start to see a bump in your heart rate and your blood pressure. My first inclination, you know, usually when you see that is to think the patient's in pain, but usually this is just some absorption from that epi that they are injecting. You can give some more narcotic, turn up your gas, you maybe even give a little more propofol, or you can use just a low dose beta blocker if they're blood pressure, heart rate is increasing too much. Typically, this is pretty transient and it's not too severe and will just come down on its own. So another big part of this procedure is the idea that we have to turn 90 or 180 degrees depending on surgeon preference. So with any time you're going to be turning the patient, this is going to be careful planning ahead of time in terms of how you're going to be doing your IV cords, if you're going to have an art line, if it's an unstable patient, your EKG cables, your pole socks, et cetera, just have all these cords lined up in a way that's going to be very easy to either disconnect or turn in a way that is not going to cause them to get tangled up. Uh, again, here you're going to be pausing your flows on your ventilator, disconnect your circuit from the ET tube so that you don't accidentally pull the endotracheal tube out. That obviously is not a good way to start the case. So disconnect that, turn the patient to the correct spot, hook everything back up. Nothing special here about this turn compared to any other procedure that would turn the patient. Just the mindful thing here is if you are going to be turning 180, make sure you do have an extension circuit on with a extension 
in title as well. That way, all that will reach. If you're turning 90, this may not be necessary, depending on how far the surgeon will be turning that patient away. Perfect. So now we've gone through the things that you'll want to think about as you're setting up for this case. And then also as you're getting the patient hooked up to monitors, how you'll set that up so that you can position them appropriately, uh, turning them 90 or 180. As far as induction goes, typically you'll have them spray neosinephrine in each nostril. Sometimes this is done up in pre-op. Sometimes this is done right before induction. Either way, something to at least ask about or talk with your circulator if that's something that you need to grab or something that they will bring with them to the OR. During induction, again, keep in mind that you'll want to consider, are you going to do uh, an elatial anesthetic? Are you going to do a TIVA? There's not really any need for you to place uh, OG unless there was a specific patient indication for that. Typically what I'll do is just keep the OG with you. You can either give that to the scrub tech or you can just hand that to the surgeon at the end of the case. Usually the surgeon will drop this down at the end of the case and drop it all the way down, decompress the stomach as there may have been some blood throughout the case that has gone down into their stomach. And then they'll bring that out nice and slow and suction all the way out. So you can actually have a good suctioning there of the stomach and then also your airway. So that's usually what we'll do for the OG. And we'll just do that at the end of the case, like I said. If you're planning on doing a TIVA, you'll often want to use a BIS monitor. Something to keep in mind though with the BIS monitor is often they'll need to do their mapping. And so they'll have this wand basically that they'll get a 3D image of the patient's skull. Sometimes placing a BIS monitor can interfere with that. And so that's again, another thing that you'll just want to check with the surgeon to see if you can place the BIS monitor right after induction, or if you need to wait till after you turn you know, 90 or 180, whatever you're doing then they can do their mapping, and then you might be able to place the BIS monitor at that point. Typically, these patients are going to be, hopefully for the most part, stable. It's not too stimulating a procedure, except for the idea here that we want to keep them a little bit on the hypotensive side just to limit the amount of bleeding that can occur. Again, we can use this with, if you're doing a TIVA, you're going to be having your propofol drip up higher, upwards of 150, 200 micrograms per kilogram per minute, working in some fentanyl. I uh, might have some Presidex on board, et cetera, here. Uh, again, we just want to try to limit that bleeding that is going to be occurring during these procedures. Again, the surgeon is going to be injecting some of that local anesthetic as well as epi in that area just to try to limit this. As Tanner said, they most likely will have already done a nasal spray decongestant up there already on top of using that epinephrine with the local anesthetic to try to limit that amount of bleeding that can occur. But again, we want to try to keep that blood pressure on the lower side just to limit that amount. In terms of emergence, make sure you talk through with the surgeon here about doing a deep versus an awake emergence. Ideally, you want to do a smooth emergence. This is necessary just due to prevention of the rupturing of that surgical site. Again, this is a very fragile tissue. We want to limit that amount of bleeding that can occur. Surgeon will often put gauze up there at the end of the procedure. Uh, another some another packing just to limit the amount of bleeding that can occur. But we really don't want that patient to have a rough wake up with coughing and a lot of movement and grimacing. And uh, we just don't want to cause any type of damage to that fragile tissue right after the procedure. So again, try to do a deep emergence would probably be ideal in this situation, but this is obviously not ideal for each patient on an individual basis. So this is something where if you really feel strongly that a deep emergence is not appropriate for your patient. Have that talk with the surgeon. Uh, try to do things to make that emergence smoother. 
whether that be working in some Prestidex towards the end of the case, uh, some lidocaine maybe used to reduce coughing, et cetera. And there are some ways to still make a smooth emergence while making it awake and not deep. Yeah, a technique that somebody showed me actually just today that I thought was really cool. And we actually did it on our last patient today. And something that would be really helpful for this case is oftentimes with these patients, and this is a conversation you need to have with them preoperatively too, is that often they're very congested or have difficulty breathing through their nose preoperatively. And you need to have a conversation with them that they'll understand that postoperatively, especially right away, it's probably going to be worse because they're going to have that packing up there. They're going to have all the inflammation from the surgery. And so they're going to have a lot of congestion in their nose. And so they'll be breathing through their mouth. So this is something that you want to take into consideration if somebody you know has bad sleep apnea, you want to consider maybe not giving them such a high narcotic load where they're going to be obstructing. And that's one of the ways that you can do a smooth emergence is by having a high narcotic load. Something else that's pretty slick way to do it is if you are coming off your gas and you want to get that off early and you don't want to do just a fully deep extubation because you're worried about them, you know, not breathing that well or risk of obstruction. One of the things you can do is give half of your induction dose of propofol right towards the end, about five minutes before you think you'll actually be pulling the tube. You can work your gas all the way down, turn your flows all the way up. You'll have already suctioned here. You'll have already given the OG to the surgeon. So they've suctioned out the stomach. They've suctioned out the airway. You can do one more suction down into the airway. Make sure that you're gentle and you're not, you know, causing the patient to cough or anything like that. Give that propofol. That propofol is going to clear pretty quickly. And so as soon as they are about to open their eyes and they're starting to emerge, you can go ahead and just pull that tube. That way they're not technically deep because they're protecting their airway. They're fully awake at that point. That propofol clears much quicker than that gas redistribution. So there's a way you can do it there where they are very comfortable and they're not overly narcotized. You can also do this with Presidex. So there's many different strategies you can use to make sure the patient isn't coughing. The other thing that you need to think about is if you do a deep extubation and they just had the surgery on their sinuses and you're having a difficult time getting them to breathe or you need to give them positive pressure, you can't smash the mask down on their nose because you've just had surgery. That's one thing that they'll really kind of jump on you about as you go to put the mask back on the patient is they want you to be very, very gentle with the bridge of the nose. Often you'll turn the mask even sideways and hold it kind of oblong just over their mouth when you're giving them some oxygen. So this is another consideration. While you want them to wake up smoothly, you don't want to have to be doing too many rescue maneuvers uh, just because their nose is going to be so fragile and obviously just worked on. And so you're going to want to make sure that these patients are breathing well on their own. So that might be where you want to use maybe propofol or Prestidex as opposed to more narcotics.